Are you ready for a powerful weekend? Yeah. If you want to know how powerful this weekend will be, as you walk out those doors today, we are right in the middle, we're starting, I should say, we're at the very beginning of a remodel in our lobby, just doing some kind of repairs and some remodeling and repainting, and, and I saw two wires sticking out of the wall. You want to know how powerful that weekend, this weekend's going to be, you take those two wires and you lick them, okay? It's going to be that good, that good. I, I don't think they're powered up. I'm like... 47% sure that there's no electricity to those wires. I texted our electrician. I said, so are those hooked up? And he hasn't responded yet, so, so don't actually test that. But um, if you wanted to, and if they were actually connected, that's the kind of weekend it's going to be this weekend. So be looking forward to it. I am stoked about it. I really believe that this is going to move the needle for the families here at Praise Assembly. I'm convinced of that, and I'm also convinced that if we move the needle for the families here at Praise Assembly, that it will move the needle for the whole church. In fact, if you're wondering, wait a second, they still haven't told us how much this thing costs. That's because we're footing the bill for you, okay? Because we believe in this so much that we believe this is an investment that if we put this into our families here at Praise Assembly, that it'll pay dividends in the families here at Praise Assembly, but it'll pay dividends for the church. It'll pay dividends for the community because this is the pattern that we see. And so if we invest into, so we're not going to do any kind of like offering at the conference, say, hey, let's offset the cost for this. We're just going to say, we're going to take this. We're going to step into this. We're excited about this. And so just come and participate. And so as Liz mentioned, if you haven't done it yet, sign up on Praise dot fyi today you will not regret it i also want to mention if you haven't done it yet if you have any friends who in here has some friends yeah that's about right those of you who didn't raise your hands uh, now how many of you have some friends raise your hands if you have a friend one fr you got jesus folks okay you got at least one friend today you got jesus Invite your friends, especially be inviting Jesus. Um, that Friday night, uh, uh, just we're calling it, it's the, the date night comedy tour uh, with Ted Cunningham. We are excited about it. I believe two things will happen. Number one, you won't, you won't be embarrassed if you invite some friends on Friday night. Um, and we think another thing will happen too. We think that people who come on Friday night are not only going to laugh and have a good time, but we believe there are going to be enough good things that they'll get from that that they'll say, hey, we want to come back tomorrow. That's what we believe will happen. And so be inviting people. We've got space for them on Saturday, and so just invite them to Friday. Don't, you don't even need to tell them about Saturday. Invite them to Friday. We'll get the message across on Friday night, and they'll have a good time. You won't be embarrassed. It'll be fun. You'll laugh, and you'll also uh, say, man, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. So be praying and turning your attention that direction as well. Be excited about it because it is going to be good, okay? I'm stoked about it. I'm looking forward to it. And so even as part of that, we've been doing what we're calling the warm-up here at Praise Assembly, just lay in some good, solid foundation uh, for, for, for the conference so that we don't have to recover a lot of the same ground, go over the same ground again. And so we're just talking through some foundational pieces as far as how families should look if we want those families to be strong, and that'll give us an opportunity to really dive into the deep end 
uh, this weekend. I remember the very first time I dove off of a diving board into the deep end. I actually wasn't sure I could swim yet. I remember I was, I was not even a teenager, and I, was, I, I wasn't sure I could swim, and I thought, well, there's no way to know until you go in. So that's what we're in for this weekend. We're going for the deep end. It's going to be good. You're going to get good stuff, and so make sure to sign, sign up. But anyway, so we're, we're laying that groundwork where we've been already. A couple weeks back, we really just talked about at the core of every strong family, I believe, is a, a strong faith. All right, so two people are with me on that. You remember that sermon, and one of them was my wife, okay? At the core of every family that is strong is a strong faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, there we go. Now that was a little better. All right, but as that, as you have a core, strong relationship with Jesus Christ, that is something that we should always seek for it to be done in us first, okay? And we said... Don't be praying for God to do something in your spouse until you've prayed for God to do that in you. Okay, so don't pray that God will make your spouse less annoying until you've prayed that God would make you less annoying. Don't pray for, something, for God to do something in your kids that he hasn't done in you. Truly, truly. If, you, if he hasn't done it in you, you cannot expect him to do it in somebody else in your family. So start by praying, oh God, lay hold of my heart first, and I believe that will move its way outward. Okay, that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Then last week we talked about marriages. If you think it was quiet in here before I started talking today, when, when, <laughs> when uh, Mike got up on stage, I'm sorry, Mike, anytime somebody walks on stage and it says board member underneath, everybody's like, okay, so what happened? Like, you, you were just not set up to succeed on that, but we appreciate you and thank you very much. It's always a good thing here at Praise Assembly when you get a board member on stage. It's not a bad thing. There's no, no moral failures or anything like that. You don't need to worry about that. So, but, but, what was I just saying about that? Oh, quiet, yeah. So last week, it was even worse. You start getting into people's marriages and it just gets a little tense in here. Um, and I mentioned it on Wednesday. I was, I, was, I was really starting to sweat a little bit. I'm like, I don't think they're with me this week, and I might, <laughs> I might need to get my wife up here to preach this sermon instead. But we talked from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 4. And, and, and there you have this image in the New Testament of what does a strong family look like. And what we saw were a couple things. Number one, Paul talks about a strong family. He spends four fifths of his time talking about marriage, one-fifth of his time talking about parenting. That should say something to us. The second thing we see is that our relationship with Jesus Christ is all kinds of mapped across our relationship with our spouse. You cannot read that passage from uh, Ephesians 5:22 through 33 and pull the two pieces apart without completely mangling the passage, Right? It is all kinds of mapped. And so we talked about the fact that if we want to be a good parent, you got to start by being a good spouse. Right? If I want to be a good dad, i got to start by being a good husband because my kids will see how I am as a husband. Okay? 
And so we start with that relationship and focus on that relationship, put the weight of our energy behind that relationship. And it is one of those uh, uh, things that as we make an investment in that, it, it, we get to double dip on the return. We get, to, we get to get some return in the marriage, and then we get to get some return in parenting as well. Because as, as much as my relationship with Jesus Christ affects me and affects my relationship with Jesus Christ, it also affects my relationship with my spouse. And these things affect my relationship with my kids, okay? So this is what we talked about. So, so these two are closely tied. In fact, it actually says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse uh, uh, 7, it says very clearly, Husbands, treat your wives with honor so that your prayers are not hindered. Okay, this should come up in every conversation, women. Honey, do you want to start again for the sake of your prayers? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is gold. And it's true, right? Men, if we want our prayers to be heard by and answered by God, it says very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, start by honoring your wives. These things are too linked. You cannot pull them apart. Okay, so invest in your relationship with your spouse, and it'll pay dividends all across the board. So that's where we've been. Let's get to parenting. The highest calling, parenting. And so for, to do that, let's go back to that same passage we've been back in over and over and over again. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. We're going to read there. This is the core of the Jewish faith. This comes up over and over and over again for the Jewish people. It was read three times a day. If you go to synagogue today, you will still hear it read at least one time in that, in that, in that whole service, okay? So us going back to it over and over again is okay, because they did. In fact, Jesus in the New Testament comes along and he says, I put my Jesus stamp of approval on this and say this isn't just for the Jewish faith. This is also in the New Testament for us today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, love your neighbors as yourself. Which, by the way, is not something he just made up on the spot. That also comes from the Old Testament. He made that up a long time before that spot. <laughs> okay? He brought that up then in Leviticus, and then he brings it out again. So these are not new things that he brought up. These are things in the Old Testament that he says, this still applies today for you. So this is important for us to go back to. Plus, I think you see from the very beginning, God was interested in using families as a way to communicate who he is and what he is like and what he's about. Verse 4, here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Before I get to parenting, which is in the verses to come, we need to come back to this again. And I want to focus on verse 6 in particular. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. We need to get what that is talking about. Because to understand what he's about to say about parenting, we need to grasp that phrase. First thing, 
What are the words that he is commanding them today? Well, this is, if you look back to chapter 5, what, I don't know what it's titled in yours. In mine, it's titled the Ten Commandments. That's not the first time you'll find the Ten Commandments in Scripture. It actually shows up in Exodus chapter 20. If you look at Exodus chapter 20 and the laws that follow, going all the way down through Exodus chapter 23, you take those four chapters there, and you boil those things down, you get Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you take Deuteronomy chapter 5, and you boil it down again, you get Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Okay? And that's what Jesus said. He said, this is rich sauce. You focus on this, and you got everything else as well. And so here you see him saying, I'm talking about the good, old, without a D, apostrophe, O-L apostrophe, Ten Commandments. The stuff we're taking out of courts, because it's too bible those Ten Commandments, okay? That's what we're talking about. He says, those commandments shall be on your heart. Now here we need to say, what in the world does that mean? Because this week, I asked seven different people, what does it mean to have the commandments written on your heart? And I got seven different responses. And I don't think it means seven different things. I think it means something very specific. And this, to me, is hugely important to understand because this is what I believe God has called me to. This is what I believe God has called this church to. Go after people's hearts. But we don't say that as just a, we want to go after people's hearts. We're saying something very specific there, and I think this is saying something very specific. These commands shall be on your heart. All through Scripture, when you see the word heart, and so I've done a lot of study on this, all through Scripture, when you see the word heart, it's talking about something very specific. I've read a lot of people saying, what is the heart? I've read a lot of Scripture about what is the heart. And when the Bible talks about the heart, some people say it's your treasurer. It's the thing that says, I value this above anything else. I want this. It is your wanter, your source of your desires. The source of what you're seeking and chasing after is your heart. So what this is saying is this. Not only does God want you to do the Ten Commandments, he wants you to want to do the Ten Commandments. So he's turning the temperature up a little bit on these Ten Commandments. It's not enough to just go through the motions. I want you, God says, to want to do these things, to love doing these things, to enjoy doing these things. Now, this is not something that's new in the New Testament because Jesus says this. He says it goes back to the heart. It starts in the Old Testament. Jesus gave us extra help in getting it done. Okay? With that said, there is something incredibly encouraging about this to me. Because he does not start with, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. He starts with, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your might. Why is that important? Because he is saying, you focus on loving me. You put all your energy into loving me. Jesus said this too. He reiterated this. You get this, all the other stuff comes with it. Right? You get a heart that is after God, that wants him and loves him and is seeking him, and all the commandment stuff comes along with it. It's a beautiful picture. Well, what that means to me is as I'm trying to decide, do I do something or not do something, the, the idea isn't, is this a sin or not? The idea is, does this thing help me to love him more or does it make me love him less? Does it increase my affection for him or does it decrease my affection for him? Does it make my heart more after him or does it turn my heart away from him? And this is a totally different approach. He's saying, go after the things that help you to love me more and don't chase after the things that make you love me less. This is a beautiful pattern. And so I believe that he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words shall be on your heart. Love him and you'll want to do these things. Have you noticed how much love changes the manner in which you do these things? And I can prove it to you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 very clearly says, this is the love of God, that you do his commandments, and that his commandments are not burdensome. Okay, that's a big deal. Because if it's something that I'm doing because it's an obligation, it becomes a burden. But if I do it because I'm affectionate, because I love, then it's not a burden, it's a joy. I know this is the case because I was a teenager once. And did you know that the very first concert I ever went to was Celine Dion? And it was right after the Titanic had come out. And Leonardo DiCaprio was so handsome. And she did the thing at the front of the stage. I even knew she was going to do it. Where they put up gates, they came up through the floor. And they had a fan blowing on her in her white dress. And she was singing, my heart will go on at the front of the stage. And you know what? I loved it. Second concert I went to, Shania Twain. <laughs> Are you picking something up here? All right? I was there for a reason. There was somebody next to me. And I was there because I was affectionate for her. And that made that, I, I, will, I will be transparent and tell you, I was like, yes, my heart will go on as she was singing on the front of the stage. And not because I wanted to at the beginning, but because of who I was there with, all right? That's why it takes something that can be a burden and makes it into a joy. And that's what love does. That's what affection does. And the opposite of that, obligation, does the opposite of that. Go to Silver Dollar City and sit in a line 
This whole park is designed around making people happy. And you will see people who are like, I can't believe I'm here and it's line so long. Why? Because they're there as an obligation instead of something that's joyful. If you want to be and do something out of an obligation, you are going to carry a heavy backpack. You are going to be carrying all kinds of weight. And what God lays out is, love me, focus on loving me, increase your affection for me, and these things will come along with it. You don't have to just do, 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 do. Focus on love, and the doing will come along with it. Okay? Here's why all of that's important. Because parents, I need to make your job so much harder right now. What does it say right after that? These words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. There's a reason why it starts on our heart, because whether we want to or not, we are teaching our children. You might think, well, I'm not teaching my child nothing. Okay, you are teaching your child bad grammar. <laughs> okay, you are teaching your child. I want to, you want to know how I know? Because the other day, my son goes, aw, shucks. Shucks. I'm a pastor, okay? I'm like, where in the world does that come from? Aw, shucks. And he starts saying it like five times a minute. Not anything that applies or the right place to say aw shucks. He's just saying it. Aw shucks, aw shucks, aw shucks. I'm like, where did you get that from? And then something happens and I'm like, well, shucks. (laughs) I didn't know that my expletive is shucks. But that's what I'm doing and my son has picked it up. And the way that I treat my wife, my son will see and he will also treat my wife. And my daughter will see and she'll treat my wife. And my son will see and he'll say, this is the way I'm going to treat my wife. And my daughter will see and she'll say, this is the way my husband's going to treat me. Whether we want to or not, we are teaching our children. It's happening. But the word that is used here, oh. In your Bible, it might say, impress these things upon your children. Here, the word is literally, you shall cut them onto your children. So, everybody, go ahead and take that home. All right, kids, let's get this done. You shall cut them on your children. The words are almost directly out of Proverbs chapter 7, verse 3, which says, These commands shall be cut on the tablet of your heart. You are not after changing your child's behavior. Now, sometimes you are. Sometimes it's like you get a gold star if you can just get their behavior changed. Don't get me wrong. But that is not the utmost goal. If your goal is to raise moral children you're going to miss it. We don't want kids that just say, yes, sir, no, sir. We want kids whose hearts are after God. Totally different thing. And so our goal 
not just to change behavior. That's doable, and quite honestly, most of the time can be done fairly easily. Okay? Well, you know. But I'm saying you got to go further and deeper, and it's going to be harder. You don't want to just change external behavior. You need to go after their heart. And you want to see these things in the same way. If you read it, here's what it actually says. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you shall cut them into your children. In the same way that you want yourself to want these things, you want to help your kids to want these things. Okay, this is big. And this is hard. And this is a high calling. And I'm not going to make it any easier for you. But what I do want is the very first thing that happens is that it drives you to your knees in prayer. Because I can't do this apart from God's help. Right? So I got to start by before I do anything else, I need to pray for them. And I do pray a lot. In fact, I pray over my kids a lot. And do you know what I pray more than anything else for my kids? I don't pray most for circumstances to change. Because what I see in Scripture is the kind of prayers that Paul offered for the churches. Vast majority of them, he is praying over hearts. And so I pray for my kids' hearts more than anything else. And this does not, okay, my kids are six and nine years old. All right, so they're young. I'm still on the front end of this. And some of you have teenagers. And some of you have uh, kids who are in college. And some of you have kids who are far out of the house. Some of you have kids who have kids, and some of you have kids who are kids who have kids who have, I don't know, how many ever kids you got, but I'm saying this, it never stops. We pray from before they're born until either they go to Jesus or we do. You pray all the way through because I can't do it, and God's purview is the heart. Read how many times in Scripture it says that he's the one who directs hearts after him. That he's the one who inclines hearts after him. It actually says he takes the disparate pieces of our hearts, all of the different areas and the ways that they want and the different things that they're they're seeking after, and he can unite them after him. That's huge. And that should be a prayer that we are regularly praying over people. May God direct their hearts for the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. Over and over, we should be praying over hearts for our kids. And so you better pray. But don't just pray. I'm going to give you some peas today. This is like old-fashioned AG sermon. You're going to get three points, and every single one of them is going to alliterate and be a P. If you're like, I can never take notes when Alan's preaching, today you can. Okay, you got three Ps. I don't think you're supposed to do it with P. I'm really bad at this. Okay. First P, pray. Second P, pay attention. Pay attention. After you pray, you start paying attention. You start watching. I pay really close attention to the things that I want. Because the things that I want tell me a whole lot about what's going on in my heart. The things that I desire and I seek after. The things that catch my eyes and I look well, why in the world am I still on that stupid ESPN reading that same stupid story over again? 
Well, because my heart's inclined towards something there. And so it tells me a lot about what's going on in my heart. And the things I want to buy, why do I want to buy that? Why do I keep coming back to wanting to buy that? Tells you a whole lot about what's going on inside my heart. Guess what? If you pay attention to the things your kids want, and they are seeking after, and you look underneath, you will see what it is that their hearts are after. And if you don't, ask questions. Now, don't ask, how was your day? Never ask that question. Because what will you get in response? Yeah, one of those two. Depending on how fancy your kids are. They'll either say good or fine. Good or fine. Anyways, okay. They'll, they'll just tell you what they've been programmed to tell you because of what they've seen you tell people when they ask you. Nobody actually wants to know how you are when they ask, how are you? Well, I'm constipated this morning. <laughs> Nobody wants to know that. They don't ask, how are you doing, so that you actually tell them. They want you to say, good. And your kids have been programmed with that as well. So never, ever, ever, ever ask that question. If you want to ask a better question, ask this. This is something I've started doing, and it's, I've noticed that when people ask me, I respond this way because of the fact that I do it so regularly with my kids. I ask them, tell me about your day. What number would you give it from 1 to 10? Then they'll sit there and they'll think. Sometimes they'll say 6. Sometimes they'll say 8. And as soon as they give me a number, I'll say, well, why is it an 8 instead of a 9? And they'll tell me about something bad that happened in their day. Why is it a 7 instead of an 8? Or why is it an 8 instead of a 7? Well, they'll tell you about something good that happens in your day. Another thing that we do in our family is best thing, worst thing. What's the best thing that happened today? What's the worst thing that happened today? And my kids won't do it unless I'll do it. So I'm very transparent with them. Best thing that happened today. Worst thing that happened today. And I tell them, and my transparency helps them to be transparent back. And if I'm paying attention, I will hear what's going on underneath the surface. But you've got to pay attention. You're not just looking for the simple stuff. You're looking at what's going on underneath the simple stuff. Okay, because I have one child. And I'm not sure I know exactly where these things come from. Some of it I think is genetics. Some of it I think is just the way God works. But my kids are fundamentally different. And I've picked up that one of my children, I won't tell you two, but she, who, but she is... <laughs> She is a warrior for justice, man. Everything must be, yeah, amen. That was another warrior for justice right there. Okay, things must be fair. And if something's not fair and something's not just, oh, you hear about it. And you might be like, well, that's every child ever. Okay, I'm telling you that this is a little bit more than that. Okay, and I'll tell you what. I think underneath that is the heart's cry of somebody who was built with an eternal soul who is seeking a God who is just. I believe it. I believe that child is seeking after a God who makes and plays fair and who says, I will pay back and I will judge and I will reward and I will punish. 
I believe that. And so recognizing that in that particular child, I want to speak to that. And I want to pray towards that, because that's a heart's cry. And I've got another child who he is seeking the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. It's the best way to say it. He is seeking the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. Underneath it, that's what he's looking for. And I want to speak to that. And I want to help encourage that. And I want to bless that. But I cannot unless I am paying attention to my kids. Not the basic stuff. What's going on underneath? What is it that they're seeking after and they're searching for and ultimately is a cry for God so that I can help encourage and direct and bless it? you got to pay attention. And then after you pay attention, final P, you got to participate. You pray, you pay attention, and then you participate. God gives us parents for a reason. And the reason why is we participate in the forming of our children. We participate in speaking to those hearts' cries and etching these things on their hearts. And you're like, okay, Alan, you do not understand. If I can just get my kids fed on a regular basis, that's a win for me. Don't take my win away, right? I'm, I'm the guy who's shuttling or the, the lady who's shuttling from point A to point B. Here's the wonderful thing about God's pattern. Look at it. You shall talk about these things as you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. His pattern is not that you layer an additional thing on top of all of the practices and all of the places you need to be, but instead you reorient your entire life around this purpose. And all the sitting, how many of us have a couch at home? You sit. You're like halfway there. Boom. Right? I'm doing your job for you, okay? How many of you go along the way and drive from point A to point B? There is no better place to trap your children than in the car, okay? <laughs> Where are they going to go? Captive audience, you're welcome, right? And this is the pattern, and he lays it out for us. This isn't adding some new layer, it's as you're doing these other things, just reorient those things around a deeper purpose. Don't sub out the driving to a digital device. An iPad or an iPhone. First thing I need to do when my kids get in the car as I'm picking them up from school is I need to be paying attention because they have been in somebody else's presence for a whole long time and I need to pay attention. And then not only that, I need to use that time to help etch hearts, okay? And pay attention to the other times that are going on, or the other spots, he says, as you're sitting in your house, as you're lying down, and when you rise, the most um, uh, probably influential times are right before bed and right as they wake up, right? Because when they wake up, they say the things that they're really thinking, <laughs> Right? And you can speak to the very depths of their heart at that point. In fact, I am convinced 
that sleeping is one of, whether we want to or not, those moments when we acknowledge God's sovereignty and the fact that he is infinite and we are not. For me to survive, I need 16 hours when I'm doing stuff and eight hours when I am doing absolutely nothing. A third of the time, I'm shut down. And if it's seven hours, I need four shots of espresso, okay? Seven hours and four shots or eight hours of sleep. If I have less than that, I'm out. My kids are the same way. Every single day, whether they know it or not, they are acknowledging the fact that they are limited and God is not. And more than that, when you sleep, how vulnerable are you? You are also acknowledging the fact that God is the one who is keeping you. And so as they sleep or as they rise or as they're getting ready to lie down, that is brilliant time to do this kind of stuff. But let's just talk about one of them for me, driving. Just while I'm driving. This is what it looks like for me. And that's all I can give you is what it looks like for me. Tuesday this week, we're driving in to school. Tuesdays and Wednesdays are two of the days that I bring the kids in. Fridays sometimes as well, but Tuesdays and Wednesdays every single week. Driving in. We have a school that's here on the north side. But on Tuesdays, specifically, I drop my kids off at a place called Phelps, which is right off of MSU's campus, so it's a little further away, a little longer drive. I live north of town, eight minutes away if I'm driving, ten minutes if Liz is driving, okay? (laughs) And on H Highway, I drive in. It's 55 miles an hour speed limit through there, which God means is 60. And um, as we're driving... We do the same thing every Tuesday. Start it every single Tuesday, same way. As we're driving in on H Highway, from my house to the church, we play I Spy. Okay? But not I Spy with my little eye, something blue. Because that takes too long. And when you're going 60 and a 55, you can't, you got to play Speed I Spy. You don't even say I Spy, it's gone. Okay? So you just got to, Yell out a color, and everybody guesses it before you pass by. If you don't guess it, you move on to the next thing, okay? So we play Speed I Spy until I get to the church. From the church to Cherry Street. Every single Tuesday, I tell them a story. Completely original. I never, it's all right from my head. Like I told them a story about these little short creatures with hairy feet and how they brought a ring and threw it into the mountain of doom and... (laughs) And how there was this space guy with a sword of light, and I am your father. I mean, it's like all original stuff, okay? But I usually try to tie in with some sort of, like, moral or something that ties in. When I hit Cherry Street, from Cherry Street on Glenstone to MSU, every single Tuesday we do the exact same thing. We pray. We pray over Mommy. We pray over Daddy. We pray over ourselves. And every single week, we pray for the same exact things. We pray for safety. We pray for protection. But most of all, I pray, oh God, may we love you more at the end of this day than we do right now. Every single Tuesday. You think that's etching on a heart? Wednesday. I, uh, I was driving in. This time we're going to the school that's just north of us, Truman. We love the school. Great leadership, great teachers. We've got multiple teachers who go here to praise, and we just love the school. It's fantastic. Well, we're driving in, and 
It's about a 12-minute drive if I'm driving, 15 minutes if Liz is driving, and I usually have to leave by 8.30 because school starts at 8.50, and so, yeah, I know, I play it a little tight. <laughs> Aw, shucks. Uh, and, uh, but I usually get there plenty of time. This particular Wednesday, we left at 8.35. And I probably still would have been fine, but maybe I drove the speed limit. I don't know. And it took a little longer. And so we're driving along, and I realize we're pulling in at 8.49. Okay? We have a car line. The school sent home letter saying, please drop off in these specific spots in the car line. Don't drop off in a different spot in the car line. There's a car in front of me. We're the only two in the car line. That car is not stopped where it's supposed to be and letting its kids off properly. My kids say, can you just let us out here? I said, no, because we are supposed to let out in front of where that car is. So we wait. It takes a while. Eventually that child gets out, runs up to the door. It took longer than I was expecting. That car starts pulling forward. I pull to the right spot where we're supposed to stop, let the kids out, and they run to the door. Kid in front of them gets in just in time. They get to the doors at 8.51. The doors are locked. I watch as my daughter and my son pull on doors that are locked. And I'm glad for that. That's security, that's safety. That means my kids are safe when they're in there. I'm good with that. Doors are locked. I'm devastated. Somebody lets them in. Find out that night they were tardy, one minute late, okay? My kids are like, that is so unfair. Next time, will you just let us off? No. And it's not unfair, and it was my fault. We should have left earlier or driven less like mommy, okay? <laughs> I said, this is my fault, and I'm sorry for that. And then I said to them, how come all of the times we got there early did not make up for the one time when you were one minute late? And they said, yeah, that seems unfair, doesn't it? I said, yes. And, and you may think this is such a small thing. To my kids it was not, though, because a couple of things. Number one, if you're on time, which my kids had perfect attendance up until Wednesday, you get a popsicle, an enrichment day, and a dance party. Okay? I know, right? It's awesome. They're, they're really kind of encouraging attendance, and it's fantastic, and I really am for it. And, and then at the end of the year, if they have 99 or 100% attendance, they get invited to this thing and get, a, like, a new bike. It's awesome, legitimately. Very cool. Northside Betterment Association does this every year. Anyways, so my kids have been looking for this, and they've been wanting it, and they're tardy. And I said... All the times you got there early didn't make up for the one time you were late, did it? No. So as we were driving, I said, you know what the Bible says about sin? It says if you break even one small part of it, you're guilty of breaking all of it. And that all the good you do does not make up for that sin. 
and even just being a little bit off means you break the whole thing. This might just seem goofy to you. Here's the thing about my kids that I know that you don't. My kids are rule followers. And you're like, that's awesome. Your kids are rule followers. Yeah, it's really great until they put their hope in that. Being perfect. Because they will never be perfect according to Scripture. And so I do not want them to put their hope in getting it all right. Yes, I want them to be rule followers, but more I want them to be Christ followers. And so I'm going to take this opportunity for them where it was a heart-wrecking experience, and I'm going to try to tie that to the fact that sin should be a heart-wrecking experience. And so I said to them, you will never be perfect, and you never can be. But Jesus Christ was, and that's why he came and died. So put your hope in him fully. That's what it looks like to etch on a heart. To cut deeply into the heart these things of loving God first. You might be like, okay, Alan, I could never do that. You're a pastor. You turn everything into a sermon illustration. I have a conversation with you, and I'm waiting for it to turn into a sermon illustration. Okay. If you pray, and you pay attention, these things will show up. And again, you might just say, okay, that's goofy, Alan. What did Jesus do? Sitting by a well, a woman comes up, I will give you water that will satisfy so much better. He's breaking bread. I am the bread of life. He sees a widow drop two pennies into an offering, and, is, and, and he says, listen, that lady gave more than anybody else. And his disciples are like, come on. He said, no, I'm telling you, you're missing the fact that God looks at the heart. You're missing that, and you're looking at all the wrong things. You're looking at the external, and I'm telling you, God looks at the heart. A tower falls over, and he says, do you think somehow that those people deserve judgment more than others? Because I'm telling you, every single one of you deserves judgment, but I have come in order that you might have salvation. This is what Jesus did. And you want to know how I was able to do that, because it wasn't something I forced or put on. Do you want to know why? Because I got it here first. And I truly believe with everything inside of me that the gospel of Jesus Christ touches everything. You want to know why this was on my heart? Because when I was in that car line and I look over and I see my kids run up to a door that's locked, the first prayer on my lips was, oh God, may they find entrance into the kingdom of God. It's not something I'm putting on or making up. It's the first thing I see is my kids run up to doors that are locked. Oh God, may the kingdom of God not be locked to them. May they find Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing, if they trust in their own ability to be perfect, that's exactly what's going to happen. They can never be perfect. But Jesus Christ was perfect and died that they might have access. 
So I look and I see a door that's closed and that's the first cry of my heart for my children. It's not something I'm making up. It's the fact that I have the gospel here. So I want them to have it here. Not just external, not just behavior, but I want them to have it in their hearts, written on their hearts. So I pray and I pay attention and then I participate. And this is something that we have all, as parents, have been called to. So I would encourage you, start with your own heart before you seek to impact theirs. Because if it's natural and it's real, then you will cut to their heart. But it's got to begin here, right here. And that's why every single Sunday I come back to the same thing. Have you personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because it is totally possible to grow up in church and think that the answer is good behavior or commandment keeping. No. You got the thing backwards. First Jesus, then all that other stuff. So if you're in here and you have not come to your knees before Jesus Christ as the only way and the only truth and the only life, then you will come to those doors and Jesus will say, I never knew you. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. So start there. Right there. And then let the other things happen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me today. Scripture is really clear on this point. And I am so careful about this. And for my kids, I am praying over them to grasp this message more than anything else. Because I don't want behavioral modification. I don't want them to act good or seek to be perfect. I want them to know that Jesus Christ speaks and they are made perfect. And all hope is in him. And let me say the same thing to you. You can never be perfect apart from Jesus Christ. And by his word, you are. You are made splendorous in their sight when Jesus Christ speaks. And so this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, Romans is clear. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you can be saved. And this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray that, and I'm going to encourage you to join with me in that. Speak it out. Confess, Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you can be saved. Man, I want you strong. But Jesus comes first. Jesus first. Until you get that, it'll never happen. Jesus Christ, your Lord. Believe in your heart, and you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, I do come right now. Most important thing, without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus. Because he's the only hope we have. Jesus. And I can try to do the best I can, and I can try to keep those commandments, and I can throw them on my back like a backpack full of heavy books. Bear that burden. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 very clearly says, That is not the love of God. The love of God is 
that I keep his commandments and they are not burdensome. They are written on my heart because I love God and I love him first. Right now, I pray that our hearts would lay hold of that message. No hope but Jesus. No hope but Jesus. No hope but Jesus. And I pray if we're putting our hope into anything else, that you would strip that away right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. Open hearts right now to hear this. Only Jesus. Father, we do today confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. I confess you. You are Lord today of me. You are in control today of me. And I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead. The scriptures are true of you, and that same power is available to raise hearts from the dead today. So God, I just pray right now for hearts to be raised right now in the name of Jesus. Mouths to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and that miracle to happen in this place afresh and anew. Because you're our only hope today. Only you. Only you. Only you. Father, I do pray over families. I pray for hearts that are surrendered fully to you. Marriages that are focused on you and, and are the image of Jesus Christ in the church. Families that are focused on etching on a heart. Not external behavior, but God, the heart in the name of Jesus. But God, in all of it, may our eyes ever be on Christ, our hearts be ever after him, wanting you more. We thank you for it. We praise you for it. We ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. We've got a prayer team here this morning that would just absolutely love to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, they're committed to pray with you not only today, but to pray with you all week long. Pray over your family. Pray over a specific family member. Pray over you and your own heart. In fact, if you're in here and you just confess Jesus Christ as Savior for the very first time, I would encourage you to take this opportunity instead of heading out the doors in a moment when I dismiss, to head down and come down to the front and they would love to pray with you and then talk with you about what this might look like for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to be back this Friday. But as you go... May you go knowing the truth of Jesus Christ deeply and in the very heart, fabric of your heart today. God bless you. Have a great day.